What's up, my dudes? What's going on? Just wanted to rip off a uh, new ep for the day. Um, you know, this is just like quickly becoming my new <laughs> addiction, my new obsession. I just love doing this. So much fun um, talking about all these ideas. And then once I find that once I talk about them, I put them out of the universe, they're gone. So people will be like, hey, in this episode, you talked about this, like, what's this? What's that? And I'm like, I don't, I have no idea. I don't remember. They're out of my brain. They're completely gone. But today I just wanted to kind of uh, talk about um, is, is the theme of just, I'm just calling it keep, keep it going or keep at it. And it's just, you know, I, for me, there was a couple times where it was like, I, w- I was doing something. I believed in it. I knew I could make money at it. I knew it could be um, successful, but it was like, I was getting so frustrated, like nothing was working or it was working and I wasn't making the kind of money I wanted to, or I didn't think the business was going where I wanted it to, or I just wasn't, I just wasn't feeling it. And I put my head down, I kept going and it, and it turned out. So I guess like the, I'm just going to tell you like the best story that kind of sums all this up. And when you're flipping houses, even if you plan it out the best, there's just still a huge outflow of money every time. It seems like you go into something, you have a set budget, but it seems like it always something always comes up. And it, it which is it's like TV, you know, like everything's going good, and then it like rains and the roof leaks, or a water, a water main breaks, or this or that, and that does happen in real life too. And it can be like a real gut punch, like especially if you're at the end of something, and that kind of happened to me and Kaylee on a couple different ones. So this was kind of like one of those times where we were like running low on money. We were getting like uh, a little bit scared. Nothing was like happening. Our real estate business was like kind of dead. And we just like really needed a shot in the arm. And, you know, even like the best entrepreneurs, sometimes like you're just like, God, like I almost wish I had a job because this is so frustrating. I'm just getting so burned out. I'm scared. I can't sleep at night. And this is one of those times where we're just super frustrated and we just needed like a shot in the arm. And, um, my wife's parents ended up getting a listing and the listing was really good. And the pictures were like absolutely amazing. They just popped off the screen because what it was is the house was an acreage and it had a, a, it was on like two or three acres. So it wasn't like a gigantic acreage, but it had like a lot of green space. And then like when they took the pictures, it just like dusted a little bit of snow. So the pictures were just like totally awesome. And, but it was like enough green where it was still like inviting. There was good contrast, green, you know, green grass, blue skies, a little dusting of, of snow in the trees. And they, they took these pictures, but then they weren't like listing the house for a while. Um, but we had it as what's called like a pocket listing, which is where like you have a, have a listing as an agent, but it doesn't go like on the MLS. So if anyone wanted information, they would have to go directly through us. Um, and when they were ready to like start like getting showings and stuff like that, uh, really worked out to our advantage marketing wise, because like there had been snow on the ground for like a couple weeks. And after snows on the ground for a couple weeks, you really start getting tired of seeing gray sky and then white all over the ground. It's just all washed out. So the best thing about this listing was 
we put it on and it had green grass, which when you're scrolling through pictures online of houses in Omaha in the middle of winter, it's like, oh my God, green grass. That's awesome. The house was awesome. The pictures were awesome. And like I said, the people had to like go through me, go through us if they wanted more information, which was awesome. So we started, we put it out on Facebook and the way we put it out on Facebook was like, um, kind of like a real brief teaser. Like we have this acreage that's for sale, contact us for like the address and, um, and for additional pictures, blah, blah, blah. So that kind of like got the uh, ball rolling when we put it out online, people started like inquiring and, um, like I said, at the time we were like pretty, I don't want to say desperate, but it's like, we really like needed to get paid. Like we really needed like a sale to go through. Um, so it was like really exciting to start getting like some activity. And, um, I got some people that were interested and they were talking to me, blah, blah, blah. Well, eventually like some girl talked to me, um, was texting me about the house and, Sometimes when you're like texting with like a prospect, especially in real estate, because a lot of times like in real estate, someone's like, yeah, I'm like super interested. I got money for it. I got like a eight, 800 credit score, blah, 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 blah. And you're, and you don't want to get like too excited because a lot of times that, especially like stuff off Facebook, that just ends up being bullshit. So I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. She's like, yeah, we're like moving here from Florida. Um, my boyfriend, or my husband just got like a new job in Omaha and, um, we like really, we really want an acreage and blah, 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 blah. And the acreage was pretty expensive. It was like, uh, $7.85. So this, that's like a pretty high price point. And this girl that was messaging me through Facebook, sorry, I said texting, but she was messaging me through Facebook. So I could see her like profile and I'm like, this girl is like young, like this isn't adding up. This is bullshit, blah, blah, blah. So I don't really think much of it. And then like the next day she asked about it. And so I like sent her some more pictures of the house and she was like, well, we like don't really like it. And I was like, well, if I see anything else come up, like I'll send the information your way. And she's like, okay. So, um, I was like, whatever, I'll, I'll send her like some other listings and see like where it goes. So, I ended up sending her some more listings and she was like, okay, well, we're, me and my uh, husband are going to be in town in like, not this weekend, but next weekend. And, and we want to like see some houses. And, and I was like, okay, well, like, what's your like budget? And she's like, well, let me like talk to him and get back with you. So long story short, their budget was like 900,000. So I'm like, oh my God, that's like awesome. But you, you never know. So, um, we went out and showed them and the third house, they're like, this is perfect. We'll just take it. We'll just like ask, we'll just like, um, we'll just give the buyers or we'll just give the sellers what they want. Um, uh, we're moving here and like, uh, we want to move here in like 45 days. So we're like flexible on closing. Um, here's our like letter of pre-approval. We can put down like 25%. So it was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Like I, I kept my nose to the grindstone. I did everything I wanted to do. And these people were like, going to write an offer. So they followed me back to the office, wrote the offer, offer got accepted. They closed on it 45 days later. And, um, the commission from the sale for me was 25,000 bucks. So it's like, I'm happy. I kept my nose to the grindstone. I'm happy. I kept at, at it. And if you keep at it with your business or what you're trying to do, 
You do the things that you know are going to work because a lot of times, you know, we ask for advice and the advice we get is like stuff we already know that we should be doing. So I did everything I should have done and it just like worked out for me. And I, and, and I got that payday when I like needed that payday really badly. So that's just kind of a story I wanted to share with you guys about um, like persevering, keeping at it, not losing faith, especially like in times like this, it's like really easy to lose, to lose faith and stuff and, and really easy to get down. So I just wanted to share that, share that story of a success that I had that hopefully you can carry, carry on in your life. And, you know, a lot of times, the only way that you're going to fail is by quitting. If you stick with it, it, you know, if you're having traction, maybe you're not getting sales, you're having traction, but you're not getting signups. Like if you just stick with it, you might have to tweak like one or two things, but eventually it is going to pay off. And the idea that I want to talk to you guys about today is something that I think that if you stuck with, um, you advertised, you expanded, I think could be like a gigantic uh, business for somebody. And I think that somebody can make a tons and tons of money at it. And I think that, I don't know why I've never seen anything like this, um, in Omaha and I've never heard of anything like this. I think that there's probably some like, maybe like one or two people that do it, but there's no like huge franchises that do this. And I don't really understand why. And what it, what the idea is, is it's a like mobile oil changing business where you go to people and change their oil, like either in their driveway, or I think more importantly, like at their, like where they work. And I don't know why anyone hasn't, I don't know why anyone hasn't done this because it seems like pretty easy. So like if you had like a panel truck or even like a big enough van, um, you could store all the supplies that you needed, all the most common um, kinds of oil. And then like you would have all your tools. You could like use airbags and jacks to jack the cars up high enough to like drain the oil out. So I think it would be super simple as far as the equipment goes. Um, obviously, like you'd be more expensive than a regular like drive-in um, oil changing place. But I don't think that matters because, you know, we kind of – this kind of like checks the boxes for some other things that we've talked about in earlier episodes – one is convenience. And for whatever reason, like I hate getting my oil changed. It's just a pain in the ass. And I go to like Jiffy Lube or one of these other franchises and the people are always kind of jerks. They try to like, they try to upsell you all the time, which is like a little on the irritating side. And then they always like tell you, you can't use conventional oil in your vehicle that you always have to use like the more expensive kind, which is that's bullshit. So, um, People like don't want to go get their oil changed. I I know I don't. It's just something that's a pain in the ass I don't want to deal with. So I think this is like really good because I would be willing to pay like 20 or 40% more to have my oil changed, which for me, my truck is about like right at a hundred bucks. So if I could pay an extra, if I was paying, if I could pay 130 bucks to have somebody come like do it when I'm like working at a house that I'm flipping or um, at my office, I would like definitely do that to not have to go sit in line or go like sit in their like nasty lobby with their like uh, gross coffee. So I think a, um, a mobile oil changing business like just makes sense. Um, I think it'd be super easy to do. I think like um, per van that you have, you would just need two people. I, what I would do is I would create a website um, and then once I got some traction, I would probably create like an app for it. So somebody could just be like order service on an app, make it super simple. 
Obviously, like I said, it'd be 20 to like 50% like more expensive depending on like exactly what you're doing. Um, but then like you could like schedule people out. So I think if you did it right, I think you could hit like 20 or 30 like cars um, per day. And if you're making a hundred bucks per car, you know, that's like two to 3000 bucks a day. So that would definitely cover like um, having the van, cover your employees. I think the numbers work out with it. I think it's super scalable because you can, um, once you fill up the schedule of one van, you could get another one going. So it's super scalable. Um, you don't really have like a ton of competition. You have like Jiffy Lube in those places. You have like dealerships because uh, some places, if you, like I know Lexus, if you buy a car there, I think you get like free oil changes for a year. But after that, um, you're back to like doing the same thing as everyone else. And then the other great thing about this um, idea is you could f- totally franchise it. Once you had it up and going and you had all the systems worked out, you had the booking process and, and payment process um, and like how you would best like do the routing worked out, this would be a super a super awesome idea to like franchise out to sell to other people. And I haven't really seen anything like this. I think that it's like a no-brainer idea. I think it's really, really good. Um, and the other thing too, like just like how they do it at like Jiffy Lube or whatever is you could also do like tons of upselling and tons of downselling. Um, so like you could upsell like flushing people's radiators, upsell like flushing people's transmissions, uh, and then obviously like um, wiper blades, stuff like that, whatever, whatever. But like you would just try to do it like um, when instead of doing it like once you're there changing the oil, you would just do it on the front end when you booked the uh, oil change appointment. So I think this could be really good. I think it could be really profitable. Um, having a technician change oil, that's not rocket science. So it's not like you're gonna have to pay somebody like tons of money to do that. But I think it's really good. Um, you could do it in parking lots with no problem. You could do it like in parking garages, maybe like strike a deal with like some employers that have big, um, uh, parking garages. So I think that's a really cool idea. It's really simple. Um, and it, and I feel like sometimes like when I'm doing these and I'm explaining these ideas, that the simplest ideas only take like 90 seconds to explain. So that's the idea um, of this episode. I think it's really good. I think it's, um, I think it'd be super easy. I don't know why anyone's not doing that. Um, so the business for sale uh, is a trailer manufacturing business and it is based out of Seattle, Washington. And um, I, I really like, so when I had a mowing business and um, a trash out business, like I had to like deal with trailers a lot. (laughs) So I had to like, I had a lawn trailer that carried all my lawn equipment. um, And then I would rent a lot like um, construction trailers, like dump trailers or like flatbed trailers that I would like put concrete on or uh, junk on stuff like that. And that was always like a pain in the ass and trailers are like really expensive. So my lawn trailer, which was like basically nothing. It was just one axle. I think it was like 10 or 12 feet long. That thing cost two grand. And like dump trailers are like seven to 12 grand. So they're really expensive, but then they hold their value really well. So I think I sold my trailer for like what I bought it for. Um, 
So I think that like the trailer business and like if you need a trailer, you need a trailer. Like if you're running a bit like a lawn business, you have to have a trailer. There's no way around it. So um, and you don't really see trailer businesses like trailer manufacturing businesses. You like barely ever see them for sale. So um, this is pretty cool. Like I said, it's in uh, Seattle, Washington. They're asking one point eight million for it. Um, it says it cash flows 2.75 million. So, uh, that's a little weird. Like you'd have to get a little bit more numbers because, um, if it cash flows that much, why is it only 1.8? So that's a little bit weird, but like, let's uh, read on here and see what else is going on. So this thing was established in uh, 1990. Um, the company manufactures maintenance-free boat trailers for recreational, commercial, and government use. They're the largest manufacturer of boat trailers in in the Pacific Northwest, including Seattle. Um, they have the best in quality, durability, performance, and offer state-of-the-art trailers. They offer a wide range of custom trailers in aluminum, galvanized, and painted steel frames. They also supply quality parts, so your boat trailer will always be in top condition. Uh, their business is a position to take advantage of both Canadian and American markets. So that's pretty cool. Like, um, obviously Seattle is close to Canada. So you get like both, uh, both markets. Um, so they do give like the, um, 2018 or they do give like right on the website, like their revenue from 2016, 17, uh, to sorry, 2014, 15, 16, and 17. Um, which has all kind of been right around between like 2 million and like 2.5 million. Um, and then here the, they give you the net income for each of those years. So like the, the most recent year they have on there, um, the net income from the business business was $458,469. So that makes a little bit more sense. Obviously, um, at the top, they had some, uh, incorrect information. So this trailer business, um, is listed by Mergers Corporation, M&A International. Uh, the listing agent is Bona Kim, is uh, the name. And they can be reached at 516-34, sorry, 516-344-5460. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. I, I think that like manufacturing, kind of after all this COVID-19 stuff, um, there's going to be, I think, like a new kind of like a new era of manufacturing. I think that the government is going to want a lot more manufacturing activity in the United States. So we're not so um, dependent on China and countries on the other side of the world. Um, because I think that it's it is important for a country to have its own manufacturing hubs and its own ability to manufacture. And now we're seeing that we also need a, a lot more um, a lot more like food production and that us two, we're in a position where there's um, a few companies that are in control of like a lot of production in the United States. And some of them are here. Some of them, they have their production um, overseas. And I think that that's going to start changing after this whole COVID-19 thing. So that's something to think about. Um, the other good thing about trailer manufacturing is um, if you can like lock down a smaller geographical area. So like if, if this company um, has itself positioned or if you buy, bought it and could get it into the position of kind of being the leader of um, boat trailers uh, in the Pacific Northwest um, or get a bigger share of that market, 
um, that can be really good because a boat manufacturer, or, or I'm sorry, a trailer manufacturer in Nebraska is never going to compete with somebody in the Pacific Northwest, or even a boat man, or a, a trailer manufacturer in Southern California is never going to compete with somebody in Washington because it doesn't like make a whole lot of sense to ship to ship your trailers. Uh, from large geographical areas away because there isn't that much spread on it. If the trailer is like two or three thousand dollars and it costs you a thousand bucks to ship it um, from far out of state, it, that just doesn't make any sense. So if you could lock down a good geographical area um, with something like a trailer uh, manufacturing company, I think that that could be um, a good play. So that's the business for sale. Um, if you guys want more information and you didn't catch catch that or if you'd want some clarification on the financials which i know the way i was reading them it was kind of screwed up um just reach out to me you can reach out to me on facebook or shoot me an email at the idea addict at gmail.com it's also going to be in the show notes um so moving right along to our three critiques um the first one these are all kind of um well let's we'll just get into them so the first one is a career coach and i didn't the person asking me about this, like, I didn't even know what the hell a career coach was. I mean, I've heard of a life coach and I've heard of a business coach and a life coach doesn't, I guess, a life coach, I guess, is like a a shrink without a license, sort of. And then a business coach, I kind of get because if you want to grow your business, but you need help, but I, a career coach, I don't really get that. So I read up on it and it's basically like they kind of, they help you they coach you to get a good job, like how to get, how to impress the recruiters, how to impress like the HR people, how to write like a good resume, um, how to like answer interview questions like precisely and like the way that the people want them answered. And then they also, um, but then it doesn't stop there. They keep charging you. So after you get the job, then a whole, a whole nother thing starts. So after they get the job, you, after you get the job, uh, then you meet with them every week and they tell you how to climb the corporate ladder and like get a, get a better job. So, um, um, that seems kind of stupid, <laughs> honestly. Um, the, the couple like corporate quote unquote jobs I had, I couldn't get away from their fucking coaching. They wanted to coach you on everything, like how you answered the phone, how you like spoke to other people where you worked, like what do you, what do you want to do with the company? How can we help you? So I couldn't get away from their fucking coaching. So I don't, I, I guess if you could find, if you really liked doing this kind of stuff and you had like an HR background or something and you could find somebody dumb enough to like meet with you every week and pay for it. I'm well, I'm sure there's a market for it, right? Because there's a market for like a life coach and all the other stuff. Um, so yeah, if you could find people to like to sign up to charge money for this, like go right ahead. I think that like if you had a good enough pitch, if you if you if you had some pupils that you were coaching, and you could say like these people started in the mailroom and now they're uh, now they're in like mid management, or they started in like sales and now they're like in the, on the corporate floor, or I'm, I'm sorry, on the C floor or on the management floor or whatever. Like it, if you had some people that you could show like results from and you could get people to sign up, I think that would be good. Uh, I think also with career coaching, what you could do um, is you could get like kind of a, 
you could do like sort of like a class and not really like a class, but you could like have a, a private like group where you kind of like coached everybody at like the same time. So like, let's say you had like a hundred students, you could put them in like this private coaching group online on Facebook or um, something like that. Uh, Kajabi, I think has something like this. Um, where they're like all in a group and then you could like live coach people. You could like give them pointers, like things to work on. Um, and then you could like coach people in person. You could coach them on zoom. So I like the coaching thing, the career coaching. I never really heard of that. I I guess I don't have a, like a quote unquote career, like, like they're talking about. Um, so yeah, if you could find people dumb enough to like sign up for that, like go ahead. I mean, that, that, that seems fine with me. Um, Virtual assistant, I think virtual assistants, uh, that could be like really good um, because what I would do as a virtual assistant is I would like focus on one um, like line of business. So for me, like I would focus on like being a virtual assistant to like um, high performing real estate agents and basically like a virtual assistant would like line up your um, line up your day for you. They might like put out ads for you. They might like do some of your like digital or um, virtually do some of your paperwork for you, stuff like that. And for a solopreneur, like a real estate agent, or even like a solo lawyer, a virtual assistant is, would be um, something that would be very valuable if they were good. So I think you could charge um, a good amount of money. Once you had your processes down, I think you could really like, you could be a virtual assistant for like several um, uh, different individuals. Um, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. I'd have to look at like how the pricing would go, but, but I feel like if you did a good job and you had like a special, especially trained like workforce of virtual assistants, um, you could like charge like a a decent amount, like enough to like make money at it. Um, the other thing is like, once you like figure things out, you could like hire, um, employees under you to be virtual assistants or possibly even like 1099, um, employees, um, that would work out of their own house, um, that you would, um, match up with like solopreneurs or professionals that need assistance. So, um, I think that that's good. I think it could be scalable. Um, kind of, um, I talked about like web developing in the last episode. I think if you're going to be a virtual assistant, you need to speak the same language. It needs to be your first language um, for whatever country you're serving. So if you're listening to this and and you're in the United States um, and you want to be a virtual assistant to uh, real estate agents in the United States, you need to speak English so you understand them and they understand you. If you're listening to this and you speak and you live in India, you need to speak the local dialect of whatever um, uh, cities that you're going to be serving. So because you don't want to, you want to make sure that if if you're someone's virtual assistant, that your your main job is to not like you're you're making their life easier, so you don't want to screw things up. So um, that's the thing to look at as a virtual assistant. But I think it could be good um, if you did a good job, you had a great track record, you could get um, referral business. I think you could charge like a decent amount. Um, the other thing too is um, it could be scalable. Um, if you had the right processes in place and you could get enough clients, you could scale it up, bring on uh, people to work under you. So I think that that could be good. Um, the only hard thing is there's going to, there's like a lot of people you can hire as virtual assistants who are, uh, speak good enough English and they're out of the country and they'll work for like not very much. So you'd really have to like have an offer that like sweetened the pot enough 
to be able to like charge a premium. So that could potentially be like a little bit too much of a commodity market where you'd have to like find some way, um, some irresistible hook or offer or something to like make it worth doing. So the virtual assistant thing is a maybe. You'd have to kind of like play around with it for a while. Um, but the last one is a personal trainer. Absolutely hate that. That's a waste of your time. Um, personal trainers don't make any money. You're going to be hanging out in the gym all day for 20 or 30 bucks an hour. Well, 20 or 30 bucks a meeting that the people show up for. Um, pretty much every gym now has a, uh, has like a stable of personal trainers that they don't really pay. They don't really pay them very much. Um, you know, like the, a lot of gyms I've been to are like, Hey, like you can get like free, ver- uh, you can get free personal training or you can get this or that. So it's like really like watered down personal trainers, uh, that whole personal training thing. Um, and then the other thing too, though, is I think that, I think if you were like a personal trainer and the only really way to make money is like go to people's houses and like be their personal trainer, like one-on-one. Um, or if you could get like high net worth people, but that's like so difficult. I mean, there's, uh, there's too many personal trainers. I mean, there's like colleges that are dedicated specifically to having people be your personal trainers. I don't really think you can make any money at it. I think you'd like really be spinning your wheels. That's too commoditized in my opinion. Um, the other thing now too, um, is, well, yeah, technology's taking a bite out of that. It's too commoditized. You, you every, every gym, no, just don't get involved in it. I wouldn't go down that path. Um, I, I sure as hell wouldn't like pay to get a bunch of licenses to do it. Cause that's not worth anything. Um, so no, I don't like that. So, uh, just to wrap it up, career coach. I like that if you can sign people up for it. I don't know why anyone would use that service. The second one's a virtual assistant. A lot of people will be interested in using your service. I don't know how much you could charge, so I don't really know. And the last one is personal trainer, which is a hard no for me. Personal trainer, no. Um, there's other things you can do in the fitness industry you can make more money at, so don't even screw with that. Um so that like wraps it up. This was another quickie episode. I guess like good ideas just go quickly. Um, so if you guys have any questions, you want me to critique a business for you, you need business ideas, um, or you just want to wrap business, um, ideas, hit me up, uh, the idea addict at gmail.com or look me up on Facebook. It's Zach Hurt idea addict, and, uh, we'll catch you guys next time. Thank you.